0: ah what a great morning yeah just lifting the name of jesus reminding ourselves of who he is amen so we're going to start a new series starting today i get the privilege to kick it off and we're going to be looking at 1 peter we're going to go through the book of peter and there you are a letter to god's elect uh, before we start, I, I mean, how many of you have been, have had spam mail? Today it's spam email, but in the days gone by, you got actual letters. I know when we were living in Holland, Thank you so much. every day, every day through the letterbox, we would get like 10, 15 envelopes of just Ads of, there's a sale in this shop, there's a sale in that shop, there's a discount at this supermarket, and all kinds of things. And what did we do with it? Didn't even open it, threw it in the dustbin. Correct? But imagine in your email, you got something that said O-I-G-S. How many of you know what that is? Uh, uh, O-I-G-S, yeah. It's an old thing. We got envelopes with that. On Indian government service. Would you thrash it or would you open it? You'd open it. Hey, this is something important. Okay? Whenever something came with OIGS, you knew it was from the government. It was either a refund, it was a certificate, it was a letter. And you didn't, you handled it carefully. You read every word right? So today we've got an OIGS, but not from the Indian government. And we're going to look at 1 Peter. Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, I just invite you to now open our minds, our hearts to your word, that I may not come with words of just human wisdom, but that your, wo- your Holy Spirit would anoint my words and bring it to life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's read we're going to do 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Okay, just the introduction. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Amen. Now, in ancient Rome, how do we write letters? We start with, Dear, whoever, and we end with, Yours faithfully, Yours sincerely, with love, lots of love, ciao, cheers, XXXX. And you sign your name, right? But in those days, letters started with a person first saying to you, like it says here, the person writing the letter, Peter. Who is he writing to? To whoever he's addressing. And then the purpose of his address and some salutations. Peter is one of the 12. So he's saying Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not any old Peter. The Peter. This letter was written around 60 AD, and Peter is said to have been writing this from Rome. Unlike Paul, Paul who would address himself as a servant, uh, an apostle by the will of God, because Paul, he says not born of natural means, he came later. But Peter was one of those disciples, in fact not just one, he was the second that came To Jesus, do anyone knows who came first? That's right, Andrew, and Andrew brought Peter, and then so forth. So let's look at the credentials of our writer today. Like I said, Peter is one of the first disciples. Now here are some fun facts. Okay, he was the most rebuked by Jesus, and also had the gall to rebuke Jesus. He made the greatest confession. Anyone knows what that is? The great. You are the Christ, the Son of the. Okay? And he made the greatest denial. I don't know this man. He was the most publicly praised by Jesus and also the publicly given the most harshest discipline. Get thee behind me? Satan. Satan. He denied Jesus three times. And he was affirmed three times, Jesus, uh, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, do you love me? Do you love me? He was the first one to run away from Jesus, but he was also the first disciple to run to the tomb. When the women came in and told them, he didn't care, he ran, he ran to the tomb. Where is my master? And he was the first disciple Jesus met After the resurrection, he was absent at the crucifixion, but he is the first disciple to whom Jesus appeared. So do you think his letter is important? Apart from that, 1 Peter is part of what we call the canon of scripture. And we are told all scripture is God-breathed and God-inspired. So we must pay attention to it. Let's look at language and context, okay? Now, a good way to interpret scripture is to always ask the question, who has it been written to? When was it written? What is the context in which the writer is writing? That's one of a fundamental rule of interpretation. And when you read your Bible on a daily basis, I hope, ask yourself this question. Who is being addressed? What did these words mean to those people at that time? And then you ask yourself, therefore, how can I apply it? So the New Testament writers wrote in Greek, and certain words that we may think are special were actually part of their common day language. For example, ambassador—sorry, uh, apostle, which means ambassador, baptism, which means immersion, and grace. They just put into scripture because those days those people knew exactly what it meant today we need to look up what does it mean what is the interpretation what is the ap- application so some words were translated into english some were left in the Vulgate, as it's called okay who where is the place where is this uh where is peter writing from and where is he writing to peter uh, history tells us was in Rome at this time and he is writing to if we can look at this map it is uh, Turkey and what is called was also called Asia Minor so far far away Rome is on the left hand side we can't see it on the map but the gospel has actually gone out from Jerusalem if you remember Acts 8 great persecution arose and the church was scattered. So now the church has gone far and wide. And who are these people he's writing to? He says, to the elect, the dispersal or the scattered. Mostly his readers are Jews who were scattered because of persecution, but there are also Gentile readers in this mix. So let's look at who is this elect. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 we are looking at who are these elect they're the ones who've put their faith in Jesus and like I said because of persecution they have been scattered and Peter is reminding them of who they are because the oppression was great they were being thrown to the lions they were flogged they were thrown into jail their their property was being confiscated and all kinds of unimaginable things were being done. Tower was poured on them, and they were like human torches set up to light the streets. They were burnt at the stakes. Things that we just know as history. So who are these strangers? And Peter is actually playing with words here. To the strangers, to the elect, to the pilgrims, to the sojourners, Yes, they have pilgrimed. They have gone from uh, Israel and they have moved to these areas. So in that sense, they are physical pilgrims, but he's also reminding them that they are spiritual pilgrims. He's saying he wants to give them a heavenly perspective. He says, your home is not here on earth. Your home is in heaven. You are only passing through. You are strangers on this world. You belong to another kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world the kingdom of our God. So therefore, what he wants to do is he's telling them, take heart, take courage. Okay, we are foreigners passing through. What can we pick up from that today? Does this apply to us? Context and now application. Does it apply? We are also in this world but not of this world. And so often we get caught up with all the cares, all the pleasures, all the attractions. And we need to, brothers and sisters, remind ourselves, we are here but for a few short years. But a whole lifetime of eternity is going to be spent in the presence of our Savior. And there is a battle for purity and holiness. You know, Sundar picked points today without knowing what my sermon is on. There is a battle for purity and holiness. Why? Because Jesus is coming back for a bride, pure, spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish. Therefore, does it mean that if we are with sin, we cannot enter? No. Don't get it confused. Boldly we approach the throne of grace and find confidence or find mercy in our hour of need. Okay, but however, once you have put your faith in Jesus, we have an obligation, my friends, and we'll look at it a little more. It says, therefore, he says, be holy as I am holy. From one degree of glory to another, we are being changed. Okay, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for God is at work in you to will and to do. Amen? So we have an obligation. Let's look. So, in verse Peter, you know, he uses this phrase uh, uh, a few times in his letters. In verse 17, he says, Live out your time as foreigners, strangers, here in reverent fear. Nobody likes to talk about the fear of God these days. But it is the fear of the Lord that will keep us from sin. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Remember I said there is a battle for purity. So we need to make a choice either to live by the standards of this world where truth is no longer absolute. They talk about your truth, my truth. Uh, What is that? Alternative, alternate truth, Heaven knows what that is, okay? I know there is one truth. Jesus, the word, the living word, okay? We live by a kingdom values that are opposite to this world. We belong to an upside-down kingdom. We need to find out how do we live as citizens of this kingdom. Verse 2a says, For you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God our Father. You are not here by some, as uh, what is that called? Um, evolution, some randomness. Okay? Random acts of accident, the Big Bang or what have you. You know? For He chose us before the foundations of this world were laid to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be called into his light, is to be his sons. Ephesians 1, okay? God chose us. It starts with God and it will end with God because it is he, he will, who will keep you from falling and he will present you faultless. Amen? So our salvation starts in God, is sustained by God and will continue in God. He chose us. We are sustained by an all-knowing, all-powerful God. There is nothing in us that we would have chosen him. Nothing in us. So don't ever say, I chose God. Don't ever say that. It says, in his loving kindness, he draws you to repentance. Even Jesus said, you think, oh, this is Paul and Peter writing? Well, see what Jesus said. Unless the Father draws you, you cannot come. Okay? That is in John 6, 44. You can't come to the Father except through Jesus. So Jesus spoke of the elect as well. So let us praise and thank God for our salvation. Amen? It is a special thing. There are one billion in our country. Few have been chosen. Few have been chosen. We also see in this verse... It says, foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for what? For obedience to Jesus. You see the Trinity here. Trinity is not a word used in scripture. It has been a word used to help people understand. God is three in one, but you see all three at work here. God the Father and foreknowledge chose you through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus. Let's look at this a little more. Sanctifying work of the Spirit. It is a Spirit that produces salvation, faith, repentance, regeneration and adoption. It says, by His Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay? Now, does this mean, therefore, we don't do anything? No. You also partner with the Holy Spirit. Okay? His sanctifying work, His cleansing work needs our... Volition needs our partnership, but unless the Holy Spirit does that, we cannot stand right. We cannot stand before the Father. Verse two says to be obedient to Jesus. Now here we see the purpose. So we looked at the people, strangers, elect. We looked at the place. Okay, they are they are the exiles we are now going to look at the purpose. What is the purpose for your salvation? Is it just a ticket to heaven? You have heard us say this a lot of times. This is not fire insurance. There is a purpose for which you have been saved. And that is, one is to be conformed into his likeness and image. Yes, there is a twofold thing. Being made into his image, being disciples. Okay, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And the flip, the other one, which Jesus, Colin spoke about is to go into all the world. To be a light to the Gentiles. To be that salt and that light. But it is all actually obedience to Jesus. So Peter states the reason for our election. Obedience is paramount, okay? It is fundamental to our faith. It is a byproduct of our salvation. If your salvation does not produce the response in you, Lord, what shall I do? If salvation does not produce the response that says demands my soul, my life, my all, my friends, there is something amiss in what we have understood. And we're going to hope to bring some course correction today. Matthew 18, 28, 18 to 20 says, what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Not just making converts, not just making people who can say praise the Lord, hallelujah, I am blessed and highly favored. No, teaching them to obey And obedience, my friends, is costly. It's painful. This is, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. No. Take up his cross daily. Daily. Are we taking up our cross daily? I am preaching this to myself, okay? Every day, I have to ask myself, have I denied myself? Am I taking my, my cross? Am I following him in obedience? Especially, obedience is tested when you don't want to obey. It is so easy when you like something, right? But when you don't like something like exercise or diet or whatever, you know, that's when the denying yourself kicks in. And it's the same with our spirits. The Sermon on the Mount, replete, with challenges to obey. And Jesus was being very direct. Why? Because he, And he kept contrasting. When you pray, not like this, but like this. When you give, not like this, but like this. He was challenging the hypocrisy of the time. And he was saying, I want sincere, radical obedience. So let us not treat our election lightly. We have been saved for a purpose, my friends. The church seems to be losing it. We need to bring it back because otherwise we can think it's all about coming on a Sunday morning, getting a feel-good, whoa, great songs, nice sermon, and then we go and we transition and we, we have our feet in two boats. And from Monday to Saturday, how we live, it doesn't matter. You know that we say we want to be obedient to the Word. And may the Word of God challenge us on a daily basis so we've been called to obedience how sprinkled by his blood verse 2c sprinkled by his blood peter is very well aware he's writing to what is called the diaspora the this, the exiles the strangers the jews that have been scattered and there are a few sprinkling of gentiles as well now the jews understood this term very well sprinkled by his blood it is a reference to the old testament in the old testament the high priest when they sacrificed the animal they took the blood and it was sprinkled on the altar and then it was sprinkled not holy water okay the blood was sprinkled on the people Can you imagine what a bloody mess that was? Literally. I'm not swearing. It was a... I'm using an adjective. It was a bloody mess. Right? Whoa. But you know, this letter has been written around 30 years after the resurrection. And our memories fade. We tend to get familiar. We tend to get casual. We forget Even the cross was bloody. It was brutal. It was the most horrific death anyone could have. And maybe some of the Gentiles were far removed from actually having been there. Maybe none of these actually witnessed the crucifixion. And they needed to be reminded that this came at a cost. Our Savior's blood. could Only his blood could purify us and set us free. This is a... (coughs) phrase from the old testament let's look at it okay exodus 24 verses 3 to 8 exodus 24 verses uh, yeah okay let's read from verse 6 moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls and the other half sprinkled on the altar Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. Can we read that together? The the last phrase, we will... said, we will obey. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Do these words sound strangely familiar? And we read it at communion from 1 Corinthians? Take this is my, but he says, but of the new covenant. New covenant. So in the old covenant, it was God's agreement to reveal his law and the blood sprinkled on the people signified their consent to obey. In the new covenant, the blood's Jesus uh, sprinkles his blood as a covenant of redemption and forgiveness for our response is to obey the word. Let's read Acts 5.31. Acts 5.31. God exalted him in his, at, uh, to his own right hand as uh, prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of the sins of Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who who obey him. Verse two d, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now this was a common salutation. You saw Paul using it, Peter using it, grace and peace, grace and peace. What is this? Okay? It's like today we say namaste, we say Salam, we say hi, we say what's up, we say yo, okay? Whatever it is. We have misunderstood this word grace. Remember now, keep in mind, rules of interpretation, context context. What did grace mean in that context? You know, we say grace man, chill man, grace, grace, grace. I came in today at 11 o'clock to church, grace, grace, grace. Did it mean that? Let's find out. Okay. Grace or what was called charis, or charis was, was what the original reader immediately made an association What was this association? Now in those times, it was like this. Imagine I have a bakery and one day a fire destroys my bakery. I've lost my livelihood. I've lost my property. I've lost everything. Okay? I want to rebuild my life. But like now, where we have the, what are they called, Mahajans or the money lenders, uh, what are they called, um, there's another word, salukas. salukas or whatever, you know, where they would, uh, they would exploit, they would charge 20%, 30%, they could charge anything, any, any terms of, uh, that is landowner, uh, they would uh, just take whatever they wanted, the guy couldn't afford it, so what would he do, he would go to a Roman noble, who was rich, who was wealthy, And he would beg him to have mercy on him. He says, my bakery is burnt down. I have no means. I can't borrow money. Can you give me some money? The nobleman will look at his case and say, okay, I will give you the money to rebuild your business. And this giving is free. There is no expectation of it being returned. Okay? Not only that, the nobleman will then tell all his friends where he goes for his, his club. He'll say, hey, you know, um, what shall we call him? Claudius has, you know, his bakery has uh, been burnt, but I am now his patron. I am his patron. I am his benefactor. Go buy bread from him. Hey, he needs bricks to build... You, uh, Artemis, why don't you give him bricks at a concession? Uh, he needs logs of wood. Uh, Apollos, you give him, come on, give it to him at 20% discount. So he will use his good offices, he will use his influence for, to get favor for Claudius. Do you see? Every blessing in Christ, we get the favor. Make the parallel. This is what the Roman mind was thinking when they heard grace in 1st century AD. So, here's what it says. It's a powerful relationship between the giver of the gift and the recipient of those gifts. This relationship, okay, was usually where there was an amount the man could never repay. They entered into an agreement or a relationship based on mutual trust and loyalty. The new client, the, benef- the, one who, the beneficiary was called the client, was expected to show respect and gratitude to the patron to render certain services to him in support of his political, economic, and social activities. Okay? So you have the, the patron or the benefactor, you have the beneficiary or the patron. That is who we are. And now this is the connection Paul and Peter that says they used terms that were common in those days and they wove it into the gospel so that they could make sense of it. Why this Jesus? Who is it? Why this sacrifice? It made no sense to the Greek and Roman mind. We're saying, but you know, you, you know you've heard of patrons. Jesus is our patron. He has given us grace and favor and blessing can you can you can you pay it back for it is by grace you have been saved they're making the connection i can never pay it back it is a gift the same word we need to understand grace like that therefore but the client understood that there is now an obligation there is an obligation <coughs> And that is something we don't talk about too much these days. We say grace is free. Yes, it's free. It costs someone. It's costing the patron. But there is an obligation. You see, every promise in scripture, and there are 8,000 of them, apart from the messianic promises, are conditional. Open your Bible. If you love me, you will obey. If anyone wants to follow me, he must take up his cross. There is an if then from God to us, not the other way around. Okay? Often our prayers are, God, if you do this, no, then I'll do this. Wrong. You got it wrong. He has done. Therefore, we obey. We obey. That is a natural response. It is not a transaction. Okay? It's not a transaction. But God expects us to obey. He's not going to hold you, but you will lose out on the the blessings that come from obedience. Grace and truth. Part of common day parlance in those days. Put into scripture, but we need to understand it. Okay? And there is a word there that's faith. What is that faith? Pistis, which is actually... Translated as faith, faithfulness. James 2:17. What does it say? Produce works in keeping. It says, if you say you have faith, it says, show me your works. What does it mean? If you're saying you are faithful, faithful must translate into deeds, deeds that can be seen. I think uh, was it uh, Sundar said, love and deeds, right? You can't say you have faith and have nothing to show for it. The faith that saves is alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. In this, the consequence of having been saved is we then produce fruit. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus said, by by the fruit a tree shall be known. He ends his Sermon on the Mount with a parable about the wise and the foolish builder, and what does he say? You are blessed if you those who hear my words, hear my words and obey, it. because not everyone who says, Lord Lord. "Lord, Lord," Colin preached a brilliant word on this. My friends, we are strangers. We are the elect. We have been bought with a price. Predestined before the foundations of this world. For what? For obedience. For obedience. Is your faith marked by obedience? Let's just pause and ask ourselves this. What do I need to set right to keep being faithful to my patron, Jesus? What should my response be to the grace that has been shown to me that I can never repay? But I have an obligation towards to show gratitude, to show honor, loyalty, testimony and service. Has the sacrifice of our dear Jesus? Has our salvation produced this response in us, where we can say, "When I survey, were the whole realm of nature be mine?" but were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's just bow our heads and pause for a minute. This could be Peter writing to you. Unlike the other letters that were written to specific churches, this was a general letter written to an entire region. Cappadocia, Pontus, Galatia, bithynia names we can't even pronounce too well. And God's word is for all time. His word endures forever. What is the Holy Spirit putting his finger on? Have I taken the grace of God for granted where I've lived my own life Done my own thing, walked my own way, interpreted scripture to suit my lifestyle. It's complex. God understands. How can you call this grace? Well, grace, we've seen what grace means today. Holy Spirit. We thank you that we do not have to live this life on our own. Thank you. Your grace truly is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in our weakness, that when we are weak, then we are strong. Thank you that we do not have to fight on our own, but your spirit dwells in us, teaching us the way to walk in. I pray through this week, We will meditate on this. And may your word bear much fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.